Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Gold Podcast. It's just me, Jade, today as my co-host Isabel is sadly under the weather, so wishing her a very speedy recovery there, especially as we've got a full week of conference attendance coming up. FT Live and Reuters engagement are just around the corner and I know we're both very much looking forward to hearing all the latest from Pharma, meeting some key voices from the industry and of course networking over a lovely buffet lunch. But as for today, I'm very excited to be sharing a conversation I had with Marion Brooks, who is the Vice President and US Country Head for Diversity, Equality and Inclusion over at Novartis. And we spoke about his career in pharma and his dedication to advocacy for equality, which is an ever important topic in any industry, I'm sure you'll agree. So, as I mentioned, Marion heads up the DEI branch of Novartis US, where he's worked for almost 24 years now. He didn't start out his role in this field, though. He actually joined the company in the sales department, later moving across various marketing roles before he took up his current position around five years ago. He's got a great range of experience across different pharma factions, and I was keen to learn what inspired his transition from commercial to DEI, along with hearing about some of the techniques Novartis uses to ensure its employees feel valued. So, without further ado, let's listen in. Hi, Marion. Welcome to the Gold Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm amazing. Very excited to learn a bit more about you and your passions for working in the industry. So speaking of that, the first question I wanted to ask you is, what lessons did you learn about health and equity challenges while you were working across sales and marketing? As I know, you've got quite an extensive history in that space before you moved into the diversity, equity and inclusion field. So there were quite a few lessons, uh, especially coming from the sales lens when I think about different zip codes. So as a sales representative, sales manager, director, going into different zip codes and seeing the level of access as well as the level of care was a bit striking um, when you would have one day and you would go to different areas and you would see the lines in some of the offices where patients had been there for two hours waiting. And then you go to another area and patients are breezing in and out very easily. So that was one opportunity when you think about the social determinants of health and access to care. So speaking of zip codes, the zip code where I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, has one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the world. The stark issue there is that there are seven hospitals in the zip code, not in the city, but in that zip code. And there was a study done on the deaths of these women in that zip code. And they determined that the majority of them, 70%, were due to lack of access to care or racism. So when I talk about zip codes or when we think about the zip codes and stark differences between access to care as well as uh, quality care and treatment. That's just a personal example for me. And so for me being in the healthcare industry, one of my goals is to make sure that we eliminate those types of situations because no mother, no child should be without their mother because they didn't have access to care, especially when there are seven hospitals in the zip code. Mm. Wow, that is awful statistics there hopefully I mean hopefully it's improved over time I remember um I attended Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity last year and there was a 
a talk about differences in maternal mortality rates for black women. And it was the Olympic gold medalist. I think it was Tiana Bartoletta. And she said this quote and it really stuck with me. And she said, rather than having a hospital bag, she had her will in an envelope when she went in to give birth. Because this difference between mortality rates for white women and black women was just so ridiculously stark. It's unreal. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely unreal. In the zip code where I grew up, it's um, at the level of a third world country with all those hospitals right there. So it just mm. speaks to the disparities in, in care. But what it does for me is that it just reinforces and energizes me that there's an issue. And as a part of a healthcare organization, we play a role in solving that issue. And uh, that's the work that we're doing here at Novartis to make sure that we address these types of challenges and make sure that uh, they are eliminated. And then moving into marketing, I would say a big eye-opening moment is looking at the data and understanding how diseases are impacting different communities. And a lot of that also went back to are they getting the same level of access to care? Are they getting preventative care? So those types of things coming in from my sales and marketing experience were pretty striking. And one of the things that I'm really happy about at Novartis is that we are doing a lot of work to address those things, to ensure that everyone has equal access to care as well as to preventative care. Because it's one thing to have patients receive medication. It's another thing to ensure that they don't need intervention. And that's one of the things that we're focusing on at Novartis is making sure that everyone is as healthy as possible. And when a patient needs care, that we have the right medication for them. Mm, definitely. It's really funny as well. I think the main goal of the pharmaceutical industry as a whole is to not need medication anymore, to make sure that we're preventing people from ever getting these diseases in the first place. So in the end, they won't really need us for any sort of treatments. Yes. And so that's our big thing is our focus is on reimagining medicine for all people. And that's part of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's something we'll go into later. I want to talk to you about the Beacon of Hope initiative, which I'm very interested in. But staying on the sort of zip code lottery you mentioned there, I know that's quite a stark issue in a country as wide as the US as well. Did these observations that you made in your time in sales and marketing, did they spark your interest in working in the diversity field? Yes. As I was going through my career and, and coming up the ranks, I was always actively involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, initiatives. I served on the DEI executive committee uh, for the U.S., as well as served as the head of one of our employee resource groups. So I was actively involved working with the marketing teams, working with the sales teams uh, to make sure that there was a diverse lens and how we were not only positioning our medications, but actually also how we were talking to our doctors around creating equal access to the medications for different patient types. Yeah, it's a hugely important field to be working in. So we've spoken a bit about diversity and inclusion for patients there, but I want to talk to you first of all just about diversity within the company. How do you, as such a high player in the diversity equity field, how do you make sure that diversity is infused across all levels and functions within your organization? Our objective is to ensure that everyone has equal access to opportunities within Novartis, access and opportunity to lead, learn, and grow. And so we have a number of development programs. Our employee resource groups play a very major 
component in not only in our culture, but also in informing, as I was discussing earlier, um, some of our brand teams on how to position, how to partner uh, with different communities uh, more proactively. And we have a number of cultural programs that we do where we're bringing awareness to our associates around different patient types, different communities, and how to partner and engage with them. And that has actually been a springboard to people coming to us saying, hey, we have this idea or we have this connection in this community, and it allows us to be a stronger company, but it also allows our associates uh, to continue to develop and grow. Mm, Definitely. It's really important to see that sort of bottom up level where people are coming to you guys and saying, hey, we should be doing work here and really kickstarting that. Like you say, ERGs play a huge role in this. Do you mind me asking what sort of cultural programs you run just out of interest? So we have programs where we do um, information around bias training or making sure because this is one of the things around bias that uh, people don't always discuss is that we all have biases right and the challenge is is to make sure that we don't have negative biases that are impacting us when we're making decisions around employment or deployment of our medications and things of that sort. So it's more of an awareness uh, so people can be keen uh, to what their biases are and make sure that they mitigate any negative bias when they're making important decisions for patients or for employees. Uh, And then we have cultural things like uh, around our Juneteenth, we have our uh, annual day of reflection where we come together uh, to learn and to grow and to figure out what we're going to do as we continue to move forward, not only as a company, but as a society to make sure that there is equity and equality across the board. Mm, Definitely. I mean, they sound super important and like they're really benefiting Novartis as a whole. Um, so how would you say that greater awareness around diversity within a company can contribute to external impact for patients later on down the line? Well, I can give you a great example. Uh, we are in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month, and we've had a number. That's another thing that we do with our employee resource group. So every month we are celebrating or recognizing different demographics, whether it's uh, people with disabilities, veterans, or as I said, Hispanic Heritage Month. So we've been able to partner through our ERG with a number of organizations that are doing the heavy lifting in communities right now. So one of the big things that we have as an organization is that we don't want to create things for communities. We want to build things with communities. And through these types of programs and these types of engagements, we're being able to expand the people that we touch and also the communities that we are partnering with. So we're creating solutions to problems that the communities feel are most important versus coming to the community and telling them that this is your issue and we're going to help you solve it. It's a really important distinction to make. Well, every month you focus on a different community. That's amazing. Yes. So every, you know, when you have different uh, heritage months or recognition Mm -hmm. months, so we actually, yes, our employee resource groups, we're very busy and it's a great education uh, for all of us. I learned so much. And with our employee resource groups, you don't have to fit a demographic to be a part of that employee resource group. So for instance, I've been a member of our Chinese culture community for over a decade. I learned so much, I'm able to contribute things, but it's just something I'm very interested in the culture and making sure that I'm doing my part to bring forward the messages, but also to help find solutions. That sounds wonderful. That's definitely something I'd love to see across multiple different organizations as well. That sounds amazing for the community. 
So I touched on Novartis's Beacon of Hope initiative earlier on, and I want to dive in a bit more than that. I know that you guys expanded back in July to include six new organizations. So congratulations, first of all. Um, could you tell us just a little bit more about this initiative and how incentives such as these can lead to greater health equity for all? Yes, yeah, so the Beacon of Hope is one of our shining stars here at Novartis because we're addressing uh, underlying challenges, but also building solutions in partnership with not only communities, but also other organizations within our industry and outside of our industry. The Beacon of Hope is a 10-year, $50 million partnership, not a pledge, it's a partnership with 26 historically Black colleges and universities and the four historically Black medical schools. And what we're doing is taking a multi-phase approach. So we are looking at the clinical trial. So you often hear that it's hard to get patients of color, sometimes women, into clinical trials. And so what we are doing as Novartis, we decided that we would focus on equipping the historically Black medical schools with the infrastructure where clinical trials can be done there. One of the big challenges with clinical trials is who are the investigators and are the patients comfortable to join as well as stay. And when you have, and I'm sure you have signed to this as well, when you have people who look like you and understand you, you're more comfortable and you're more engaging in whatever the situation may be. And so that's one of the things that we're doing. So we have uh, clinical trial centers of excellence that we are creating at all four of the historically black medical schools. So we won't have that challenge of identifying black and brown patients and getting them engaged in the clinical trials. Uh, we also have a center of excellence around medical testing and standards. There are some medical tests that are out there that have harmful racial corrections that are not based on science. So there's going to be a extensive research and evaluation of those different types of tests to ensure that the biases that are not based on science are removed. I'll give you a perfect example. During COVID, we had the pulse oximeter that was measuring lung function to determine preventative treatment for patients. If you are a black or brown patient, the actual machine or equipment read incorrectly because it was not created and um, set to measure brown or black skin. And so it was causing challenges where patients were not getting treatment and we know what the ultimate outcome was. So we want to make sure that we're addressing those things. And there are a number of other tests uh, that are being evaluated now. And then looking at, as I discussed earlier, the social determinants of health. What are the other things that are preventing patients from getting medication as well as being healthy? Uh, whether it's uh, an economic thing, it is a uh, food desert thing. So there are different things that are happening. And how do we address that uh, as well as climate change? So that's the first part of uh, Beacon of Hope. And then we also want to make sure that we enable the next generation of leaders. So we are providing scholarships and mentorship. So you can't just give these young people money. We have to make sure that we nurture them. So they receive mentors from Novartis, as well as a full curriculum that we have created where we teach them around emotional intelligence, financial literacy, leading without authority, how to make sure that you have an effective development or career plan. So we're providing them with all of the tools and assets that they will need to be successful in whatever field that they decide to go into. Gosh, that's a really important initiative. And it's really great to hear that Novartis is taking such a huge focus on improving health and 
providing equal opportunities to people that won't necessarily get it beforehand. Uh, I still can't believe that pulse oximeter data. That's awful. But then, yeah, as you mentioned before, it's all about breaking those biases down and making sure that in the very initial stages of development for new things that everyone is being accounted for and nobody's sort of slipping under the data. Yes, absolutely. And one other thing I wanted to share about the Beacon of Hope is, as I was saying, it was it's co-created. So we didn't just come to the um, the HBCU schools and say, hey, this is what we think you need. We work with the 26 presidents of the schools to identify where the opportunities were and where they thought the greatest benefit would be for Novartis to join in and to partner with them. So it is a partnership. That's number one. Number two it's not something just for Novartis. So these clinical trial centers of excellence and the other two centers of excellence will be open to all pharmaceutical companies, whether they join the Beacon of Hope or not. And as you said, we just had six new partners join and we have a total of 40 partners and four um, pharmaceutical companies, which is kind of unprecedented for something like this. But we're not trying to compete for doing good. We're trying to create a platform and an infrastructure where everyone can join in and we can find solutions together. It's amazing. Hopefully you'll see a lot more partners in the years to come. Yes. So another congratulations are in order. I'm spilling out with you for you today. Uh, <laughs> but I saw you recently spoke at the Health Equity Forum during the UN General Assembly week. So congratulations for that. First of all, it seemed super interesting. I'm highly jealous. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask what your sort of key takeaways were from this conference. And did you learn anything there that you'd like to bring back into your own organization? Yes. So I would say the key takeaway is that so many companies are doing amazing things. And the learning for me was how do we harness it all together? So we have the beacon of hope. There are a number of things going on at Kaiser. Merck is doing some other things outside of being a member of the beacon of hope initiative as well. So my big takeaway and my challenge to everyone who was there when I spoke was what are we going to do? How are we going to use this platform as a springboard for us coming together and convening and making sure that we are taking the best of what everyone is doing to make sure that we build a better and more inclusive society and increase access to care for all people? Ah, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with me today. I've just got one final question for you, and it's a bit more of a personal one about your motivations for working within pharma. It's sort of a two-pronged approach. And my first question is, what gets you up in the morning? What's something that like you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, I can't wait to get started with this today? And what is one thing that can sort of leave you lying awake at night wondering what the answer might be? So what gets me up in the morning is the opportunity to be better than I was the day before uh, and to have more impact than I did the day before. So that's like my overarching in my life in general. And what gets me up around the work that I do is the opportunity to, again, create greater access to help solve some of these complex challenges and uh, being in a position to play a role in you know, finding those solutions. That's what gets me up every day because these are very complex challenges. No one individual, no one organization, no one industry is going to solve them. So working together uh, with other partners and the collaboration and providing my insights and experience, that's what gets me up every day. What keeps me up at night, um, I would say right now is just the, the uncertainty 
in the world right now. Uh, when you look at the U.S., just uh, the the landscape and it seems the progress that we've made since the social justice crisis and the killing of George Floyd, some people are trying to roll those things back. And, and it concerns me for our children and for the future. Are we going to stay steadfast and are we going to continue to ensure that everyone has equal access and we're going to continue to focus on addressing the challenges or are we going to put on blinders and start to move backwards? That's what concerns me and keeps me up at night. Where are we going and are we going to continue to push forward? Yeah, the world is certainly in a time of turmoil at the moment, but I think if we all take your advice and try and be better than we were the day before, I think that's one key thing that I'm going to take with me as I go on. So thank you for sharing that. That does bring me to the end of my questions for you. Marion, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Marion is clearly very passionate about ensuring employees and patients alike have access to the absolute best resources for them. I'm sure you could already hear from the interview, but I was very shocked by that data from the pulse oximeter that he mentioned. It's a real shame that as rapidly as technology is evolving, there can still be such detrimental results from inherent bias that researchers might not even be aware of. I think this is a real indicator for the need for diversity across the board, making sure that different populations are represented in research stages to ensure things like this don't happen in the future. I think that's also a reason why I'm such a big fan of the Beacon of Hope initiative, if you couldn't already tell. It's a really great cause, and I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more news from there in the years to come. Now, that does bring us to the end of today's episode. I do hope you've enjoyed listening, and a big thank you again to Marion for joining us today. Do be sure to tune in next week where we'll be sharing a conversation with Jaime Manzanera Gomez, who is the EMEA Brand Director for Oncology at ASI. And for those of you also attending FT and Reuters this week, do be on the lookout for us too. I know we're both very much looking forward to seeing you all there. But until then, it's goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.